0: Welcome to the Poultry Health Today podcast, where we talk all health, all the time. Here, engaging interviews with today's leading industry experts. Hosted by Poultry Health Today editors, podcast episodes highlight the latest ideas, insights, and advice to improve poultry health, welfare, performance, and food safety. Hi, I'm Rhonda Pick, news editor with Poultry Health Today, and with me is Dr. Karen Grogan. She is Clinical Associate Professor of Avian Medicine at the University of Georgia's Poultry Diagnostic and Research Center. Karen, it's great to have you here.
1: Thanks for having me, Rhonda. It's a pleasure to join you today.
0: During the 2020 AAAP virtual conference, you're presenting a case study on the first reported case of false layer syndrome in Georgia. False layer syndrome has been reported globally over the past decade. When and where was it first reported in North America?
1: Um, the false layer syndrome was reported in Canada, um, probably, I think, 2015, 2016, sometime in that time range. Um, and then the cases really started to pick up in 2017. Um, they have multiple cases in Canada, and then it slowly spread throughout um, other major layer producing areas in the United States, um, Pennsylvania, the West Coast, um, the Midwest. So where we would have concentrations of layers, they have reported this. Um, syndrome. So it's slowly spread and um, last year in July we um, uh, were called out to what we think is the first reported case in Georgia.
0: Karen, can you briefly describe the common clinical signs of false layer syndrome?
1: The um, common clinical signs for one is there's really no outward appearance. The birds look like they're still in production. I, I kind of like to call them a little bit of freeloaders, meaning they're eating lots of feed, but they're not laying any eggs. But you can walk um, into the house or down the rows. Um, their comb development is normal. They, they look like a normal um, hen that should you know be laying eggs. And then um, occasionally you can find birds that have what we call a penguin stance. So their abdomens are so filled with this cystic oviduct that they stand very upright and their abdomen can be kind of pendulous. So they don't walk, they kind of waddle when they walk. So they look like penguins. Uh, okay. So occasionally you can find that, but it's very hard to find. when we were investigating investigating this case, I felt like the ones that sort of had these pendulous abdomens would sort of sit towards the back. Um, this was in a caged, um, uh, cage layer, commercial layer uh, facility. And so you could, you could find those birds that had the heavier abdomens and then you could, could find them. But if you were just looking at comb development, they appear very normal. And then when you're doing a post-mortem exam, you open the birds and there's a very large fluid filled um, left oviduct. So it is the active side of the reproductive tract. And and it's basically no longer active. The ovary appears normal. So there's follicles that are developing. Um, Sometimes those get released and you can see a secondary peritonitis that will form um, because the yolk material goes into the abdomen. Um, But there's really not a lot of extra clinical signs except for this, what's called a cystic salpingitis. So um, that's really the main clinical finding that we see.
0: And how well do we understand the disease transmission pathways? What we think occurs is that there is a very early um, exposure
1: to a um, infectious bronchitis virus, um, which is in the family coronavirus. So we're all very familiar with coronaviruses these days, and we've been really familiar with them in chickens for a long time. But we think that a very early exposure to a bronchitis virus, like within the first week, Um, And that virus goes in and creates um, changes to the epithelium of the reproductive tract and those changes are what we feel like we were able to show in adult affected layers, Um, but what we don't know exactly is sort of what that timeline is of when birds are actually infected and then exactly when those pathological changes occur. Are they occurring very early or is it something as the birds go through um, maturation that then the changes um, show up? What we do understand is this false layer syndrome is sort of an endpoint clinical sign. And we feel that it is due to an early exposure to to an infectious bronchitis virus. In the cases in North America, we feel that it is tied to a strain called DMV 1639. This is a strain that has been isolated from the cases in Canada and other states um, throughout the US. And that is the same strain that we were able to isolate from this case in Georgia as well.
0: So take us back to the events surrounding when your lab receives a call that this has been reported.
1: They were having a production issue. They had a flock that just was not coming into peak well. So they thought that is a nutritional issue. So they brought those people in to look at birds. And when they cut open birds, he was like, uh, we have a problem here. The nutritionist is saying we have this, they think we have this false layer syndrome. Because typically the nutritionists support a lot of other layer companies. So we all tend to see the same things going on um in the field. So they were knowledgeable enough. And and when he sent me the pictures, I was like, Yeah, it kind of does look that way. So we were able to get to the farm two days later. We found low levels of that virus in the, in the adult flocks. Um, so then our next step was, hey, let's, we have some pullets at the pullet farm still. Let's see if we could find the virus there. Um, so I went out to that pullet farm the next week and um, out of the sequel tonsil of cull and dead birds um, from that day's mortality, I was able um, to find pretty solid evidence of that virus
0: circulating on that pullet farm. What additional insights were available from diagnostics you were pulling? I I know histopathology was also a a key tool in your toolbox.
1: So what we did diagnostic wise is is we tried to look for evidence of this bronchitis virus, and then we pulled a lot of tissues for histopathology and it really was the histopath that could help us explain sort of the, the background pathology that's happening. So in the case report, it's, it's very clear that um, on a uh, microscopic level, probably viral damage um, from this bronchitis virus is creating changes to the epithelium. And it creates um, basically an alteration that there are more what's called goblet cells. And those goblet cells are programmed to secrete mucus. That's all they do. Um, So it's a lot like when we as people get head colds and you get all that extra mucus production. The same thing is evidently happening in the reproductive tract. So um, it's secreting all of this extra fluid and mucus. It's normally secreting um, albumin in those sections, like it's making the white part of the egg. Like it's supposed to be secretory, but it, it basically changed what it's secreting.
0: So what advice would you have for others based on this experience when investigating unknown issues in your production environment? The best
1: advice is one, take great samples, and if you don't get good samples the next time, um, either go back again or have them bring birds to you. It really helps us to go to the farm to collect samples so we can see for ourselves. Um, So that's the best is to, to be on the farm to get samples. Um, the other thing is, and, and I kick myself for this sometimes, you you go down a path because you assume something is correct and you're like, oh, I didn't take that. So take everything you might want um, right at the very beginning. So even if you don't want to do histopath, throw stuff in a formalin jar because it's never going to go bad, because you can always go back to that and maybe there's one little piece of information in there or freeze back fresh tissue um, that you could later do for virus isolation. Yes, common things are common and most of us are pretty good at figuring out the common things, but every now and then you get um, something that is a zebra. So take extra samples to catch the zebras.
0: Thanks for listening to the Poultry Health Today podcast. To get the latest news and interviews delivered to your inbox twice a week, subscribe to our e-newsletter by visiting poultryhealthtoday.com join.